night, everybody. What's up, uh, my uh, Freebooters, West Bank Robbers, Tears in the Rain. Um, we got a really special guest today. Um, Seymour Hirsch said it was all right. He said he's always available, so we pushed him back another week. Uh, we got a really incredible journalist out here today, Wyatt Reed, uh, being interviewed by me. me, Free Palestine, and my co-host, Armor Piercing, always positive, anti-Palestine, who knows. All right. <sighs> Wyatt, what have you been working on lately? I see you've been getting harassed by a lot of Zionists on Twitter. Yeah, I get harassed on Zionists by Twitter. I, um... That's pretty much it. That's the main thing yeah. I've been working on recently, just being annoyed and harassed. And Have you noticed any new origins lately? I, I haven't really seen anything new. I think they've been jumping into the... Like, I feel like the Palestinians are just illegal immigrant Jordanians kind of fell off for a bit, but I've been seeing that more. Like, you've been getting hit with anything else? Like, self-hating Jew? That's classic, but like... That's a classic. That's a classic. Um... And I'm, I'm, I'm loving this, like, return to, like, 2015-era Tumblr discourse about how, like, uh, Jews are actually the real indigenous Palestinians, yeah, yeah. and therefore Palestinians are settler colonialists. I'm just a this little soft like, Zionist. Don't touch my little belly. Small, small Zionist boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A little small bean. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one of the main reasons I got you here is because I was very impressed hearing that you were down in Colombia covering the protests. Uh, I think... 2018? 2018? Is that right? That I was in Colombia during the protest? No. no. That, was, that was last year. Oh, I don't know what year it is anymore. But yeah. No, no, that was, sorry, not last year. That was this year. Excuse oh, me. Oh, yeah? That was this oh, year. Yeah, that was like yeah. four months ago. You were in Bogota, Jesus, right? in Bogota, dude. Right? Uh, yeah, so mainly uh, I was in Bogota and uh, yeah, I wanted to go to Cali, but I was, I was unable to make it there. It was going to be like a big pain because at the time, uh, Cali was uh, essentially inaccessible. They had just shut off flights. That's and... where a lot of the shootings were, right? Like the security force shootings. Right. That was the, the main, sort of the focal point of all the violence was Cali because, you know, it's it's um, working city. It has this long history uh, as such, uh, you know, being kind of the most working class city of all these also the Cali uh, main ones. I've heard of that. That's from there, right? Yeah, but between Medellin, Bogota, Cali, Cali is like one? where... Yeah. What's that? They all have one. They all have their own hometown cartel. No, no. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no. Uh, not that bad, not thank that God. Bad. That's good. But Good for them. Um, can you just give us like an overview of the situation? Like, who's in charge of the current government and why are the protesters? Like, why were they pissed off? I assume it was a confluence of economic factors, but if there was any impetus. Sure, I mean, uh, Ivan Duque is nominally in charge of the Colombian government. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people will say the person who's really in charge is Alvaro Uribe, Interesting. right, who, uh, last, last president, uh, who effectively kind of, he controls Ivan Duque in, in, in most meaningful senses. Mm -hmm. Ivan Duque isn't really a his own independent actor, his entire political career mm -hmm. came about really as a result of Uribe and the Uribistas of the, you know, the, the, I hesitate to call it a movement, but really, you know, the sycophants that, yeah. that follow behind. Uh, what sort of right-winger so is he? Is he like more of like a <clears throat> squealing hog type, like a Trumpy guy or like a, like a more... Well, it's interesting because Duque was, was uh, actually... Trump mocked him 
very oh. openly, you know, uh, he, he was kind of calling him like a pussy, like, you're not man enough to drop uh, um, glyphosate on, you know, the indigenous population, mm-hmm. on the rural workers, like, you're, you're like such a pussy that you won't, he wasn't, you know, willing to do it. Was there, that correct? There, there was this that open, yeah, this open mockery yeah. of him for, you know, not being willing to commit crimes against humanity, you know. But he does, so, though, right? He does. But he does, right? Yeah. He does. <laughs> it's just, it's, you know, there was this brief moment in time when it, it was not sufficient for Trump. Uh, funny, but, you know, realistically, like, obviously, yes, like, he goes above and beyond in terms of, like, his willingness to commit war crimes. But for the Trump administration at that moment in time, it was, you know... Is there is there an internal push from the right saying also, you're not you're not good enough for us. You're not right. I mean, we have that here in the U.S. Right, like the right is eternally saying, you know, you're not right wing enough. The government is never right wing enough. It always has to be farther right. Is that is that kind of similar in Colombia? Yeah. I, I imagine that that that's there, but it's just that when we're talking about who they even like, who their real constituency is, it's 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 so numerically tiny. It's hard mm-hmm. to get even a real sense. Like, I talked to people all over Bogota, and I talked to one, literally one person who, like, voiced uh, displeasure with the protests and support for the government, and it was, you know, some journalist. It was was a journalist. It was, like, a local Colombian journalist. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, here is your power base. Here are the people that actually support you. Because I talked to, you know, I talked to firemen. I talked to other government workers. They were all saying, you know, fuck this government. You know, they don't represent us. Uh, they were extremely displeased with them. None of them would were willing to go on the record with that because it was, Dangerous. you know, and it continues to be the situation where if you openly speak out against, against the Colombian regime, well, you're going to get fired. You're going to get attacked. You're going to get harassed. You're going to, your family will be subject to the same things. So people aren't willing, you know, who work within the government aren't necessarily willing to openly give their names and, you know, addresses when they say this. But that is a significant sentiment. Um, The Colombian government is really, it's it's the first government that I ever, you know, I ever went to a country and it's like, normally you'll enter a country and you'll say, okay, here's the dominant international media, media narrative. And here's people who agree with it. And here's people who don't. And, you know, that's kind of the case wherever you go. You can, you can, you know, there are, there will be people who support it, who, who are with it. Uh, in Colombia, you go in, it's like, no one supports this government. Basically, even the, even the government doesn't support the government. You know what I mean? So to talk about, like, the, the distinctions within uh, or the, or the uh, contradictions within the right wing, uh, it would require like a level of familiarity that honestly I just I just don't have um, on the one hand, but also you know we're talking about like micro sects mm-hmm. effectively yeah. because they're just they're not they have no popular presence outside of uh, the extremely wealthy mm-hmm. uh, in the city centers and you know even then you don't they don't they're not vocal about it they're not out on the streets like mm-hmm. you know sure. saying what they have to say they're hiding in their in their extremely ritzy uh, apartments and homes. So how are they maintaining power? Is it like mass voter fraud? Like, I'm, they have elections, right? Yeah. They do have elections, yeah. right. Um, and they maintain power through a combination of uh, 
of disqualifying um, opposition candidates, mm-hmm. uh, especially with you know the, the supposed peace deal. That mm-hmm. was a really significant way for uh, the Colombian regime to basically come up with a registry of all possible uh, militant opposition that that would consider participating in in the elections mm-hmm. and murdering them, you know? Yeah. If not the Colombian regime itself, well, they offload it to their paramilitary organizations. They offload it to their buddies who, you know, are no longer in the military, mm-hmm. but are now effectively serving a paramilitary role. Mm-hmm. And they have them go do it, right? And so that's how basically the they, they effectively performed a, a type of soft coup where they brought out the entirety mm-hmm. of, of um, you know, obviously not the ELN, but the mm-hmm. FARC, right? Um, the vast majority of the FARC, uh, all of those except for the small minority that, you know, kind of sensed what was going to come and, and understood that this was a trick. Uh, they got them to lay down arms, to come out into the open and take up the electoral struggle and... And they just immediately murdered them. Yeah, you know? I remember when that happened uh, quite a few years, like four or five years ago, something like that. And from what I read in the news at the time, not being like too aware of the situation, it seemed like it was a very one-sided peace deal that then was immediately reneged upon by the government. Exactly, yeah. yeah. No, it, 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 was, it was less a peace deal and more a... Um, uh, I mean, a, a, a bear trap. You know, it's just like a, it's just a lure for for opposition, and it worked. It functioned extremely well because, unfortunately, they fell for it. Um, they they believed tired. in the it was like one of the longest civil wars in the twentieth century, right? Yeah, I mean, it depends on how you calculate it, but it's either been going on for thirty years or you know, fifty even yeah. uh, by sort of some metrics and. Uh, so obviously, you know, we are talking about a situation where there's a, a massive amount of public support for the peace process. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Colombians were banking on that. The Colombian government was banking on that. And they understood that, you know, it doesn't really matter what we offer them. As long as we offer them some semblance of peace, something that has the word peace in it, something that effectively indicates to the, to the broad population that, this mm-hmm. constant backdrop of violence is going to end, yeah, people will go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was enough, you know, even if they didn't necessarily convince the FARC themselves, they convinced the people who were then able to, ex- you know, exert sufficient pressure onto those left-wing social movements that were still taking up arms um, and get them and pressure them to do it. Uh, so it was extremely effective. Uh, it was a real, real coup of um, public relations mm-hmm. on the part of the Colombian regime and also, you know, the U.S. government that was that was helping facilitate this as well. Yeah, uh, this wasn't really something I planned on getting into, but, like, uh, I have pretty much a blank slate on FARC and the ELN. Uh, I'm just, like, wondering what the character of those, like, movements were. Like, they were Marxist guerrillas, at least the FARC was, I know. The ELN a similar sort of arrangement. Like, do you know... Can you, can you just tell me a little bit about it? Yeah, I'm not. I mean, I'm not the. Not the I'm not the best one that. to go into this. Um, I've, I, I've, I've really wanted to go, mm-hmm. um, spend time down there, and I, you know, I have a, a friend um, 
colleague, comrade Dan Cohen, mm-hmm. who uh, he, uh, he he co-directed the film Killing Gaza with Max Blumenthal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he has spent a lot of time in Colombia recently. He's working on a documentary as well, and he's 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 been able to to spend um, some time with the with demilitarized FARC and remilitarized FARC and the ELN, which, you know, of course, mainly never demilitarized at all. They never laid down weapons. Um, And, yeah, I mean, like, that's... I'll I'll, I'll get you in touch with him because he he can definitely speak to this, like, a little bit more... Yeah, I'd love that. I look forward to seeing that documentary uh, as well. Um, Yeah, okay. Well... I guess we also had a lot of questions just about like the heuristics of your journalism and how you are avoiding becoming like a, a necrotic ghoul stenographer. We're the most, you know, the deadliest people on earth. Um, what's your bullshit detector? You got any of those? Like, if you see a story in the foreign press, what is your what is your one? What is it? You give our listeners a couple tips to sniff out the bullshit. So, if you hear the words democracy promotion. Your ears need to perk up. If you hear the words National Endowment for Democracy, mm-hmm. USAID, International Republican Institute, um, yeah, you need to perk up. <laughs> like it, and, and it goes beyond that, right? It doesn't have to be uh, specifically funded straight up mm-hmm. by the U.S. government or by the CIA or by some CIA cutout, right? It, it can be... Um, the Open Society Foundations, right? Mm-hmm. The Soros money. Yeah. That was a major source of funding for a number of opposition organizations in Nicaragua, for example. Yeah, the uh, But of course, in, in, yeah, in Venezuela, I'm not sure about their activities in Cuba as much, but... I'm sure they try. Um, open they probably s- threw some money at that wall, see what stuck. Well, it's a little harder, yeah, but <laughs> it's, it's a little harder to get money into Cuba just... Mm-hmm. You know, if you have no prior history of doing it. Um, but now, realistically, Venezuela and Nicaragua have kind of come up to that same level of like, okay, anyone who's a foreigner who's trying to bring in over $10,000, we've essentially instituted a our own version of the Foreign Agents and Relations Act, right? We've, just, we've instituted our own FARA. We have our own little... Are they allowed to do that? What's that? They shouldn't be allowed to do that. Are they allowed to do that? I feel like the president should intervene. It turns out that sovereign countries are indeed allowed to legislate within their own borders. Huh. But, uh... <laughs> News to me, man. News to me. Yeah, so, I'm assuming... you Do you spend a lot of time? With, well, probably not a lot of time, but I'm assuming you spend some time with more mainstream journalists at, you know, the White House Press Club or the Langley Press Club, where we're recording right now. Yeah, I mean, I... Certainly try not to. I'm not asking you to name uh, any names, but like, you know, like these. <laughs> no, if, there's a lot of ideological conditioning going on, right? Like, do you do you ever see people at different stages of that before they end up like doing RussiaGate shit? Like, you met, you ever like try to warn off any young journalists or anything like that? Or like, see, you know, just any any crazy shit. Like, how how true believers are these guys? Like, what what's Don well, Lemon thinking? Don Lemon's thinking what he's paid to think, man. Mm-hmm. And all these young journalists are going to think what they're paid to think. Or they're going I mean, they to only... to think. That's what, I, that's what I've been thinking about. I'm like, they just, you know, they know what they need to say to get that, you know, promotion, right? What, 
where do you think you're going to get a job in, in media? You know, when you get your, you finish at J school, you get your degree, like, where do you expect to get a job? Well, like the only places that are hiring are, I mean, it's mainly like, like Sinclair media, local news. Um, you know, that's, that's where most people are going to get in. And that's, it's like some of the most pernicious, uh, sort of environment for any budding truth teller, right? Because you're essentially forced to become a police stenographer. You spend your time working on nonsense, human interest stories, the weather, and then like, what did the police say about this latest person that they've killed? Or the weather um, being innocent? <laughs> I, I think they're the, uh, the least culpable by far. <laughs> okay. So they're not completely clean. I feel like there's something going on with that. Why, so why like, do they get paid so much? On on the other end of that, though, like, what are the benefits to, what are the cool things that you get to do as, like, someone who's looking at, you know, journalism from more, I don't know, anti-imperialist lens, who is, you know, I mean, shit, we spoke a little bit before before we started about, you know, you getting harassed harassed by you know, Zionists, I can't imagine that you report on anything that goes against the mainstream narrative that you're not going to get harassed by whatever group. I mean, there are, I mean, we talked about right-wing, you know, right-wing Colombian being not very a big group. I personally, in Chicago, ran into so many right-wing Venezuelans. <laughs> like, yeah. they're everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I know quite a few right uh, so. <laughs> I was at this rave one time, and I was, I was looking for, I was looking for uh, someone, and and in one room there was a rave going on and in the other room it was like a soccer like soccer fields and everyone was playing soccer uh and i and i walked over there and i sat down and i and, and we got some soda pops because there was like a little stand cell and some stuff there this was an and indoor soccer we started talking <laughs> yeah an indoor yeah. soccer field bright oh, yeah. he, really brightly lit yeah, and in one door over was a rave going on uh it was a, <laughs> oh, a nice setup uh and so we walked out of this rave and we sat down at this table and we started talking with these dudes and we had a nice conversation. And then uh, they brought up they were Venezuelan and the person I was with like, oh man, yeah, like for where Hugo Chavez is, right? And these dudes, I swear to God, a whole table of dudes just went and turned the other direction, looking <laughs> and would not say another word to us. <laughs> and I bring up anything, I mean, in, you know, I talk with some, some old high school uh, and college friends on 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 facebook and invariably if i mention something about venezuela someone's going to show up in the comments against <laughs> against me or or talking about how maduro is a piece of shit and you know the country's horribly run and everyone's eating garbage out of trash cans or whatever right and and it's how like what are the good parts well, <laughs> what because... are the good parts of, of, yeah, of do doing this if this? yeah <laughs> why why would anyone you know, why would anyone do this nice, if they like... weren't like What's a pure glutton for punishment like I am. Are you like, like a why junkie? Why would you like, do are, anything? Are you like an adrenaline <laughs> like junkie? Do you want to die? Like, are you sad a lot? Like, what's, what's up? <laughs> what's up? I'm serious. Yeah, Something's no, wrong question. with you, right? Like, like, to be doing this to yourself. <laughs> it's fair. Like, why would I want to subject myself to, like, yeah, to the terrible living conditions that U.S. sanctions inevitably create? Mm -hmm. A fair, a fair question. Um, and Venezuelans are funny, right? Because, like, we're talking about Colombians. When you when you talk about like the Colombian diaspora, it's like pretty liberal. 
It's like um, less left leaning, and like you know, because the, the protests this year, you know, there was a obviously a, a corresponding protest happening right here at the the Colombian Embassy, which is like literally a half block from my apartment. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I live like right here, right off Dupont Circle. Producer bleep um, that. <laughs> Don't give away your No, location. fuck it. I'm only living here two more weeks. <laughs> okay. Let them let know. Okay. Yeah, well, now they got uh, a timetable, man. They know when you're leaving. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and also, incidentally, this same apartment, the previous tenants were actually um, some of these so, so-called advisors mm-hmm. to Carlos Vecchio, the supposed uh, Venezuelan ambassador mm-hmm. to the U.S. that... Uh, that was appointed by Juan Guaido. Uh-huh. Um, so I am living in an apartment. And, that shit's um, bugged. They probably have a better mic than you do in there. That's good. Well, so I, I, I figured, like, first of all, you know, they, they got kicked out because they didn't pay the rent. It's just a classic, classic <laughs> right so wing. Funny. Like, they refuse to fucking pay for anything. Even when it's, like, cheap, even when they're getting a deal, yeah, they just, you know, fuck you, I got mine. I'm, and they were, like, literally, like, hightailed it out of here you know ran away and and they but they left their netflix uh subscription logged in (laughs) so i have not like (laughs) three or four times i think it was three times that i changed the uh username from uh francisco to ojos de chavez which means eyes of chavez um (laughs) <laughs> I don't know how to explain this to non-Spanish <laughs> viewers, but it's, yeah, this, this guy got the sense that he was being, like, tracked by Sabine or something, and he was just being, like, trolled by me, but... <laughs> that's, that's dope, dude. You're doing the real work. Yeah, that's so that's what you get out of it. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> this is the main... My main satisfaction is being able to, like, troll these, like utterly fucking despicable human beings that stand for nothing other than like i mean they're like pigs at the trough just eating up as much of venezuela's public funds as they possibly can and then using the remainder to try to sue other countries to steal venezuela's reserves there like they're doing in the uk trying to steal the gold you know from the bank of england they're using the the profits that they stole from the u.s to do that same shit I, uh, so, I was like, on a really long drive recently, and I, we drove by, like, a massive sit-go, like, refining plant in, like, New Jersey. And I spent – well, my girlfriend was in the, like, like in the passenger seat. And I'm just like, Google sit-go. Who's the board of directors? Where's the money going? I was trying to figure it out for, like, 45 minutes through New Jersey. Spent the whole time through New Jersey trying to figure out where that money's going. Like, it's crazy. Like, the amount of money that – like, where – it, it seems like the stock price is just going and that money's like in reserve. Well, they stole it. Yeah. The opposition stole Sitka, right? The U.S. government, rather, in conjunction with the opposition, they stole Sitka. They literally just like robbed it in broad daylight. You know, they I just I remember stole. when that happened and here in uh, in the suburbs around Chicago, they they just put up a tarp over on top of the Sitka with the new, I think it's called, uh, I think the new one is a Ramco or something. <laughs> no, that's the well, they're still using the same yeah. name, you know. Anyway, they, they consider sold themselves off, they a sold off the local sicko. locations. Oh yeah, but... that's probably how they got some cash injection because I think a lot of the profits are still being held in like an escrow account or some bullshit. But like the executives are making money, and there's like a like Canadian company like suing Sitgo 
for the ability to like sell off a bunch of shares right now because they can't crystallize. Sell it crystallize. Because, yeah, yeah, and like they they're trying to get the shares sold off, but the guys who stole it don't want to sell off the shares under like the assumption that they'll become the, the leadership in Venezuela. Is that correct? Well, yeah, and then they, they I mean, they want to they want to give away Venezuela's wealth, right? It's a lot. Of so money. they want to give it away to the creditors that are trying to steal it. But then they realize at a certain point, if we just give it away to the creditors, then we have nothing to give to Juan Guaido and like a fake coup government in waiting that we have like generated out of nowhere. So, <laughs> I mean, they, they ended up shooting themselves in the foot with it. Yeah, it's very you interesting. Get this, inter yeah, struggle. It, it's, they really can't figure that shit out. It's a whole big can of worms. Um, Anya Parampil has done a ton of work on this. Um, she's like very familiar with with the big players, um, but it's what's her show? It's, um, her show? it's uh, something now. News. She does red lines um, on the gray zone. Fight back and uh, fight back. Yeah. yeah. Her and that other guy. Yeah, I, I've I've only seen good stuff come out of there. It's good. Yeah, no, they're they're good. I did you see the the new um, media bias chart? That came out yeah, a couple yeah, days yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah where, where are you? They were right in there, just to the right of the Young Turks. Um, <laughs> okay. Makes sense, yeah. right? Like, no, that's, that's... I saw Jimmy Dore, you know, he's out there with, uh, you know, he's on the far left. I haven't watched his show in, in a while, so I don't know if that's true. They were really uh, up I assume from his either. spot, from his spot there on the left, I assume he's like a pure Juche programming now, which I would totally support personally, but... Uh, <laughs> They put Chapo yeah. to the like the if bottom that's where he's left at? of like Chinese state TV and like Venezuelan news and stuff, which like I like Chapo, but like you know they're really up. If and he's them. moved they, on to like, like they were all just like pure parodies, uh, <laughs> if he's just moved on to pure parodies of, of stories about North Korea, uh, that I would really support his show. I would I would go back to watching mm -hmm. probably. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, no, these. Uh, He's good. He's good. I'm not gonna talk shit about. <laughs> He's doing best. You know, we're all He's we're fine. all here in the journalism industry. You know? yeah. Exactly. I mean, you know, as far as like, I mean, people really like to bag. I mean, people like do bag on him. I hear. But as far as people go, he's not out there like campaigning for uh, for some serious right wing trolls. As far as I know, as far as I know, like I said, I'm, right. not, I'm not a regular that's, watcher. That's the thing. Everyone's so. mad at Jimmy Dore, but like, whatever. Like, you know, where where are you on Syria? You know, where are you? Yeah. He's on, not like, MSNBC, TV. too. Like, he's not, like, like also, he doesn't have 100 million viewers or something. Like, I don't know. Like, so, he doesn't have, whatever, 5 million nightly nightly watchers or something like some of these cable might. news programs. He might. I don't like, know. <laughs> he has, like, yeah, he has a lot of viewers. He's got about half um, as much as we do. So, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, he has, like, 10 times more viewers than the Young Turks, and they're what? somehow treated as, like, a... Yeah, like the consistent young viewers who like not, watch. Like you say, they're treated like this, like kind of like more uh, uh, media outlet, but they're like t still a YouTube channel. I mean, as far as like YouTube's I mean, big now. These I cable, saw, uh, these cable. Uh, I just saw Pogstars Part know. Two of an episode that had nine point eight million views. So, like YouTube's YouTube's big news. Yeah. Um, well, they're um, screwing. Up. I mean, like they're screwing them over. They're screwing anyone over. Like they screw over Sputnik. They screw over Press TV. I mean, they. They literally knocked, you know, our, they stole our Press TV's website. Yeah, yeah, let's which talk is just about that. That was fucked up. Insane. That was fucked up. I mean, it's just insane. 
and I and I'm in um, I was in Nicaragua at the time, and I was like a little bit concerned, like, yeah, I was am I gonna go back? Because you. like now I'm, I'm, you know, I get paid by them, and it's uh, not an easy process to get paid by them because of the sanctions, and so I had this like idea that I'm gonna come back from Nicaragua and just like be met with a bunch of like feds who want to. Question me, interrogate me about press TV. Thank God that didn't happen, but uh, that's what's happening right now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Just a little sneaker about it. I appreciate that you've upped your game and are not, uh, you know. This is the legalization. That's why we got all these fish tanks here. You think these fish tanks come cheap? This is blood money. I'd be filling these things up with blood if the fish could handle it. You know. So I know I know a little <laughs> bit about Sputnik. I've I've read some stuff from Sputnik. Uh, I, I've, I've seen some really good reporting on there, but I've never actually uh, uh, read anything from Press TV or seen anything from Press TV. Uh, are they well, from Press Are TV they is... from a sanctioned nation? I mean, uh... yeah, they're, they're a, an Iranian funded oh, okay. outlet. Okay, okay, and um, okay, so an enemy, so taken an enemy down. media. Okay, I see. official enemy state <laughs> trademark country. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, what's your experience been working like there? My experience at Press TV? Or both, really. Just any, like, what, do you have any advice to any journalist going into, like, an official enemy-funded media outlet? Because, you know, there's not, you're not getting on MSNBC and talking to a guy like me, you know? Like, you're not going to get the real news. Uh, my advice is just <laughs> tell the truth. Yeah. Just tell the truth, you know? Yeah. I, I think that they're going to come after anybody who does enough to rile them up at a certain moment in time. But if, you know, if you're just telling the truth, then, I mean, <clears throat> the worst that they can do is uh, kidnap you and keep you in Tate's an illegal, over and over. Uh, you know, prison, send you to Guantanamo, maybe force you to hole up in an embassy of a foreign country <laughs> or run off to Russia. I mean, like, what, what's the worst they can do? Yeah. You know? It's better than paying taxes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you still gotta pay the taxes, though. I mean... <laughs> Not if you're in there. Well, Julian Assange was probably paying taxes every year that he stayed in there. Yeah, <laughs> you can't mess with the IRS. You, can, you don't want to do that. Um, yeah, but just, you know, like, do you, do you feel like you've been able to pursue the projects that you want? Like, is there something that you've been wanting to cover that you maybe just hasn't been in the news enough? Or, like, is, are there any areas of interest that you feel like... Like you, you, like you would hope people would pay more attention to. Well, that's why I mean that's why it's cool to have the opportunity to work for, you know, uh, an outlet that isn't beholden to corporate profits or to the U.S. foreign policy status quo. Mm -hmm. Is that you actually do have the freedom to pursue the stories that need to be told that um, that actually significantly impact the day to day lives of. Not just American citizens, but especially uh, people all across the globe. Mm -hmm. um, you, you know, like like I was sort of bringing up earlier. You know, most people who go to journalism school, they're going to find that their only real source of employment is going to be. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're going to find out very quickly that you're either working for these local corporate media outlets, or you're writing on Substack. Mm -hmm. Or you're writing for, you know, or you're working for one of the, the big boys, if you're lucky, mm -hmm. right? You're working for CNN, MSNBC, NBC, uh, ABC, Fox News. Mm -hmm. But 
uh, I mean, even to get those jobs is a dream yeah. for people. So they're like desperate to get these shitty fucking jobs. I mean, they're not shitty by any means, right? Like you're getting paid, you're getting nice benefits, but they're just shitty in the sense of like what you actually have to do on a daily basis, just lie to people. Um, th- I mean, that's why it is, it's cool that they haven't been able to destroy us yet. They haven't been able to like, maybe they've delegitimized this post Russiagate after, you know, they, able, they were able to like say like, oh, you know, Trump is president. Thanks so much, Sputnik and RT and Russia for coming up with like some really rinketing memes that apparently convinced enough people somehow to turn the, turn the channel off. Yeah. Direction of the, the election, who fucking knows? It doesn't make any sense. But, you know, the result is the same. Like, we have been delegitimized. They, they, there was this um, campaign of deprecation, and it, it succeeded in at least sidelining us and making us uh, impossible to cite. Like, we're a yeah. deprecated source on Wikipedia now. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's but, messed up. So in that sense, like, and, and it does, they succeeded in the, other, in the other sense that they have made it hard for us to get certain more mainstream guests that are willing to come on. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, people are wary now because they know even if we have good intentions, which I, for at least, always, you know, I've never, like, booked, I've, I've never booked anybody, like, as a gotcha interview. I've, like, never done that. I've Who's done that shit in one? person, maybe. I've done that shit in person, but I've never, like, booked somebody as an interview, like, oh, I'm going to get you so bad. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's that's not really how they would get got. In an interaction with Sputnik, they would get got by the mainstream media catching hold of the fact that they gave us an interview. They're just worried just by yeah. seeing their name next to your uh, next to your title, right? I mean, they're just worried that they'll see, oh, I'm now, you know, right. possibly exactly. also delegitimized, right? Mm-hmm. Just by just by associating with you. I I think about like you have the two kind of like censorship forces right you have like these mainstream media outlets that are constantly delegitimizing you but then you also have like the social media platforms that are actually like removing your content making your stuff not able to be searched on 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 Google uh, not appearing on on YouTube and and that sort of thing and I and I wonder you know how do we get around that you know what I mean like when when so much stuff is relied on on search engine optimization. Uh, and and these massive social media platforms that are really opaquely controlled and are really in the hands of some of the most vile people on the planet. Uh, how do you? How can you get news out there? Or has this just really, really done a, a, a put a damper on 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 Sputnik or or Press TV's uh, outreach? Have you guys found a way to get around it? Is is what I'm is what I'm wondering? Uh, or is it had totally like uh, shut you out? Old Arab men, I think, are still very fervent believers in the Pope. <laughs> I mean, that that's the thing. Like, Press TV, it's not like, like, you know, my coworkers or colleagues or the people that I went to school with necessarily, most of them were watching that on a day-to-day basis. One of my uh, friends uh, from high school, his family actually did watch a ton of Press TV and still do watch a ton of Press TV because, you know... He's Iranian. His family's Iranian. Like, they uh, so there are a significant number of like Iranians in the diaspora worldwide that watch press TV. Um, that reach is gonna be there. That's always there. You kind of take it for granted. Uh, in terms of, of not, Sputnik, that's a, that's I mean, a they, big deal to like be able to bring news to the diaspora to like 
you know, help, I don't know about, like, preventing the weaponization of that immigrant community, because, like, you know, there's always going to be that, uh, you know, the Shaw, <laughs> the Shaw's homies, but, like, do you, do you think that's had an impact? Is that, like, one of the better things that you think you've been doing is, like, bringing news to the diaspora community? Well, I mean, that's, that's kind of the bread and butter of it. Like, that's the that makes sense. day-to-day. Uh, I, I, you, you know, you should have an understanding of at least who your audience is, rather, you know, who, who am I addressing? But there's always going to be the goal of, of expanding your audience, expanding your reach, and being able to, you know, talk to new people who haven't heard, haven't exposed this particular perspective. I mean, that's the main thing. That's the main thing of any, like, anti-imperialist, communist, anyone who's, like, really oriented towards affecting change in the world, towards moving us towards a multipolar world, towards moving us, like, away from just a world that's completely dominated by U.S. imperialism. Like, you have to be aware of your audience. You have to be aware of what it is specifically that you were trying to change their minds about. Um, and so on that, on that note, like, yes, they have made it really difficult because they, even if, even if they haven't managed to delegitimize us here or there, um, you know, I, I, I went to a Proud Boys event, uh, maybe, I think it was in November. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, one of them heard me doing like a, you know, a dispatch for Press TV. And they heard me like end with, you know, for Press TV. And he was like talking shit and you know, like, oh, so who are you saying this and that about, you know, white supremacist this and, you know, uh, foot soldiers of capitalism that. And, you know, he wasn't terribly pleased about it. Yeah. But, but, you know, I left and then, <laughs> He figures it out, you know, 20 seconds later, he does a Google search, goes down to, you know, Wikipedia page or even how the, the Twitter page, which now, you know, labels us Iranian state sponsored media, whatever. And he literally runs around the corner like he sprints and like Looney Tunes style, like he's like, wait, Iranian funded press TV. And I like turn around like 50 feet away. And I started recording the guy because like, I knew it was gonna be like something good. Huh? Yeah, always. Uh, and so always recording. He, he like ran away at that point, but there, there's an element of you know like people don't recognize press TV in the way they do Sputnik. It's like oh that's mm-hmm. evil foreign media that wants to come and like you know. Yeah, you do have that good. Take my daughter. It's a very like mild name, I know that works. <laughs> just, um, take my culture, take my 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 nice like American heritage, and um, do you know have its way with them? Yeah, People don't associate press TV with that popularly quite yet, um, in the way that they do with like Sputnik or with RT because there hasn't been, you know, no one ever like made a big lie about how. The Iranians you know. got Hillary elected. I think they yeah, really exactly. made it easy. <laughs> uh, RT really made it easy by calling themselves Russia, <laughs> Russia Today. Yeah. Uh, My and dad Sputnik. RT. Also, not an English word. In like 2014, if you put I was your, like, you know uh, that's Russian propaganda? And he's like, shut up. <laughs> I'm watching the news. <laughs> if you name your paper, though, a word that's not English, automatically people are not going to like it. <laughs> yeah. 
Sorry, that's just yeah. an American mindset. <laughs> Though, you know who's pretty good? France 24. I've, you know, France 24, I've never seen them Look, do a hatchet that's job. that's an English word. They didn't, they didn't call it I'm Francais sure 24. Up. I'm sure it, like, you know their coverage saying? of Mali is not good. You know, I'm sure anything... Their Latin saying. American coverage yeah. is very hit or miss. Yeah. Mm. I mean, they're, they're France, France's public, you know, they're France's NPR or France's VOA mm. more, more accurately, but, like, the reporters are homies. They love Palestine. They're like old Arab guys. I don't know why. They're good on Palestine. Yeah. They've had um, they've had good homies on for Bolivia. I've seen I've seen I saw them put Ali Vargas on. Oh yeah. At one moment, yeah. No, like they, you know they've they've done um, good interviews. They're not morons, no. and some of them have consciences, but they are still at the end of the day like a. a state-sponsored outlet of, Yeah, I've like, always been more of a, like, you know, I, I try to focus on the journalist. An imperialist nation. Like, I don't you really know? care about outlets. Like, I, I think that's kind of how you've been able to get more reach and, like, you and, like, the other people in your milieu, like Nate Wallace or whatever. Like, you know, you've built reputations for yourself as, like, honest journalists. And, like, it doesn't, I don't think it really matters where you end up working at the end of the day because people know that you're going to be representing the facts like that's how seymour hirsch can be like i have a confidential source i'm not going to give them up you know that you got to build it is it is pretty useful though to have some places that will hire journalists that you know that aren't just regurgitating you know that aren't police stenographers that like was brought up i mean like it it is really useful to have those places around because uh you know and it flows up like people read it seems to be there is there is some market for that right there you mentioned press tv but rt uh you know when I was when I was first getting into kind of like left wing politics, right? I mean, RT was a big influence on that, and and having a spot where where they where they actually, uh, uh, you know, where they actually platform uh, uh, some of these ideas, I think is 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 really really important. And they have Anders uh, Lee, the Kratom King. <laughs> <laughs> Anders Lee, I no. mean, uh, that show he was on, that comedy show, I was really into for. <laughs> Yeah, he's good. good. Yeah, I, I'm I mean, RT is, yeah, I can't, I can't talk shit about RT, like, it's... No, it's your job, we're not going to do that. At least they, they, they platform anti-imperialist voices in a way no one else will. I will say it's, like, sad, because, like, I have a number of friends who used to work there who are communists, anti-imperialists, mm-hmm. uh, however they self-identify, um, and they kind of got pushed out after the foreign agents relations mm-hmm. shit. After after the far bullshit, mm-hmm. the, you know the t- this tidal wave of nonsense, um, they were you know forced to basically find a a U.S. owner and uh, oh I didn't know that happened. Guys, a little bit more right leaning, mm-hmm. and you know you can see that in the coverage and it it's reflected mm-hmm. pretty clearly <laughs> uh, what they cover won't cover, mm-hmm. but. Uh, you know, all the same, it's like, at the end of the day, I mean, they're still doing extremely important coverage. Mm-hmm. They're still covering events that uh, no one else is going to cover, especially, you know, when you look at, like, the Afghanistan coverage. Mm-hmm. Who else is in Kabul at the airport talking to the Taliban and, like, taking stock of the various military hardware that was left behind? Like, no, the Americans are gone. Or the VOA is gone. The, uh, the, the babushkas. Know? What they think about the neighbors, you know? Nobody else is covering that. (laughs) Not necessarily they're below, but... uh, You know, anybody who can cover it, even a little bit, I think has an impact. Because, like, those old ladies know what's up. 
the forest stuff has had a has had a huge impact on like people's livelihood, just people being able to make a living doing this sort of work. See, that's a good question. Oh, totally. Oh, totally. Yeah, which is why, I mean, you see, um, you see in basically the non-aligned world, you see in Russia and China and uh, all the Latin American countries, Cuba, Venezuela, Nicaragua that are under threat, you see this very tit for tat legislation that effectively accomplishes the same thing. They said like, okay, you guys are going to introduce these new double standards that say, uh, you know, people can't work for foreign funded media without basically like copying to being some kind of spy. Yeah, and that removes um, a lot of your access to like standards totally, kind of thing. Right? Totally. Because now, you know, you're like people, I, you know, even this week I've had, I've had multiple people back out of interviews, mm -hmm. you know, multiple people. Like I was trying to get interviews for, uh, segments on the 20th anniversary of 9-11, multiple people who told me either openly or I just kind of sussed it out. Like, you know, yeah, I want to do an interview with you. Oh, uh, wait, actually I can't. Mm -hmm. You know, why can't you? Ah, you know, I don't have the time. People don't always, like, say mm -hmm. exactly what it is. Sometimes they do, but mostly they try to be polite. Yeah, and, you know, like, they're not even – it's just there's so much pressure on people to not do that, too. Like, you know, it's just – you know, not everybody can take the valiant stand. You know, like, it's, it's hard. I get it. And that's how they get you because, like, even, like, well-meaning people end up, like, drifting away from these sources and, you know, they end up in, like, another milieu of a much more, like, centrist. Because you don't want to be – you don't want to be dismissed as some prank, no. some conspiracy theorist or some dupe of Putin, mm -hmm. you know, which is exactly how the smear functions and it works pretty successfully. Mm -hmm. um, but I would say that it hasn't, you know, it certainly hasn't, like, destroyed anything. And, and one thing that is really worth noting is that this, like we're in the American bubble, the U.S. bubble, but when you go to Latin America, Sputnik is a very well-respected news source. Um, and most of the rest of the world too, you know, Europe for sure, like, uh, and press TV is the same way. Like this- Because Russia's right this there. This campaign. <laughs> you can't just ignore right. Russia. Yeah. Right. But even Press TV, yeah. you know, in Europe, they have considerably more access to public figures because they haven't been the subject of these uh, campaigns to delegitimize them. Yeah. In nearly the same way that, that that's happened here. Al Mayadeen, I think it is, like the uh, Lebanese, like Shia, maybe Hezbollah, you know, outlet. Like that, that's like illegal to have played in the U.S. Like a man was sentenced for like, a pretty long prison sentence. We're trying to stream that out of like a Arabic language, you know, uh, like radio or a TV station in like New Jersey or something. It's, it's pretty messed up, but, I, that, but like it's a very tracks. popular news station. Otherwise, like they build, they have British MPs on there like every week. They've got like a bunch. Of, They're like, legit, yeah. man. I I can't remember if I've been on or not, but I none of us know, have been like, on. Been none of us have watched it. None of us have streamed it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're they're fucking good. Yeah, they know like, what they're doing. They, yeah. You can't fight off and, Israel without, and, like, a sufficient, you know. <laughs> you know. Oh, man, especially after, you know, like, the last 
basically Israeli siege on Gaza. I mean, if you watched like Al Jazeera during that, it was trash, man. Yeah. Like there was like mainstream media coverage of of the Israeli bombardment was garbage, yeah. especially I'm including Al Jazeera. But like you turn to Al Mayadeen or Press TV, and like they're actually focused on it. They're doing like twenty four seven coverage on it. And they're doing in-depth like, shit. They're doing interviews with people on the ground. Like, you can't compare the coverage, honestly. It pisses uh, me off. I, I've identified, I'm sure this isn't novel, but like I've identified this thing where it's like the only Palestinians to get interviewed other than maybe like a three-second clip of Abbas is just like a child who just had their house blown up or an adult who's seriously wounded. Like, you've never heard an actual like official or like a foreign press secretary because like every group in... Palestine, the, you know, the PFLP, Hamas, like, the, you know, everybody, the PLO has its representatives, the UN representatives, none of these people ever get interviewed, ever. On Well, I remember this was a big, this was kind of like an issue um, at Sputnik. I mean, it, it wasn't an issue, but among, like when I was producing uh, By Any Means Necessary, like a radio show mm -hmm. that they put on, um, you know, I went up to, to the hosts and I was like, Hey, so I have the um, I have the contact information of a guy named Basim Naim, who's a uh, spokesman for Hamas, mm -hmm. right? And it's like you know, let's let's get him on. And the host was kind of like, ah, you know, like ah, I don't know about that. I don't know if we can do it. I'm like, okay, well, I'll go I'll go talk to the boss and figure it out. He's like, well. You know, Hamas is not a terrorist organization, according to Russia. And I <laughs> <laughs> said, all right, like, let's go get the guy. I think it was and, you know, to me, put out like, that statement after the FBI entrapped those, like, guys with learning disabilities into thinking they were going to work for Hamas. Hamas, like, put out, like, a very cordial, very upset statement that was like, we don't do foreign terror attacks. Why are you defaming us? Like... FBI, you can't be talking shit about us like that. Like we do stuff. Like you can talk about that. Like you know, we're gonna take credit for that. We're like, we're not, we're not training Hicks to like make their ARs fully automatic. Like that's ridiculous. Yeah. No, it's insane. I mean, that they, never made yeah. the news either. That was very disappointing. Um, yeah. Not at all. Yeah. So it's and it's like the yeah, it's like the the Saudi shit. They can they can just lie and lie and lie and lie and no one ever cares. Like they, they you know they released these new documents today. The Say, I, I read them, I went through them, there's like nothing new in them. You know, there's nothing that we didn't already know. We knew that, um, uh, what are the names? Nawaf al-Hazmi and al-Khalid al-Milad, uh, two of the basically advanced guard of the al-Qaeda um, hijackers that came to the U.S., we know that they met immediately, effectively, as soon as they got off the plane, uh, with a man named Omar al-Bayoumi, and he um, more or less served as a conduit between al-Qaeda and the Saudi government. He was in the employ of the Saudi government. Um, extremely strong suspicions that he was effectively Saudi intelligence. No one has ever confirmed or denied this shit. Um, and of course, they didn't say that in the in the report that they released today. You know, this is stuff that I'm getting from Max Blumenthal's book, um, The uh, Management of Savagery. Yeah, uh, 
like the fact that there's that the FBI had extremely strong suspicions, one of their top informants had extremely strong suspicions that this guy was Saudi intelligence, like that's not mentioned in the FBI report. Some, I mean, like, how, how can that not be mentioned in the FBI? The, if that gives you a sense of the shit that they were redacting and the shit that they weren't, like, they're not telling you anything new in this new document. It's, it's literally just all a big nothing burger, everything that we already knew. Um, and all the different, I mean, it's mostly redacted. Half of it's different individuals' names that we can't know under the Privacy Act, and half of it is different U.S. government agencies specifically coming in, and it doesn't tell you which agency said, you know, we can't publish this, but some other U.S. agency, my big guess in most of the cases is the CIA or the NSA, but who knows for sure. Um, so, you know, you didn't really get anything new. You didn't have anything about the fact that the CIA knew. Oh, they, they did mention once the fact that they did um, uh, realize that they were meeting up in Kuala Lumpur, uh, and this was with um, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed um, when they were planning what they called the planes operation. That was in there. It's very descriptive. And it was it's a very descriptive operation. Yeah, I feel like they could have. That 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 was in there, but it, but it, but they didn't tell you the fact that the CIA knew they were mm -hmm. there. They knew that they were acting on behalf of Al Qaeda. They knew that they came into Los Angeles, and they didn't say a fucking word. That's a lot, man. Um, that that somehow isn't in this report. Yeah, I wonder if the they, US they knew all this shit happened, but they didn't. Heel turn on 9/11 and start saying it's good now that Al Qaeda is one of our strongest allies in the Middle East. I wonder when that's gonna happen. Like, you know, these guys, we had some problems, but they, you know, they were really good at what they did. You know, maybe we need them. We need them on our side. Look, they hit us. You know, we're the we're the top dog. Like, you know, maybe maybe these guys know what they're doing. They need some more funding. Yeah. I mean, do you remember when, uh, I mean, this is four or five years ago when they were talking about, you know, ISIS is effectively like, you know, say what you will about ISIS, but they can get the job done in terms of Assad. Yeah, like, yeah. they were, I'm trying to remember, like. Yeah, there was a lot of, like, Times of Israel articles about that. Like, you know, what if, what if, I'm not saying we should do it, but like, what if, what if these guys, are, you know, they'll take out more than one guy at once. Two birds, one stone. Yeah. <laughs> That's what was a little um, disappointing to hear about the 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 Farah stuff being such a big damper on. Because I've been looking at uh, I don't know. Did you see a few months ago, uh, or maybe it was about a year ago uh, during the 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 George Floyd protests, uh, Xinhua uh, uh, News, the Chinese state news, uh, they put out a cartoon. Uh, it was a little offensive, uh, and it was kind of trying to explain what was going on with the George Floyd stuff, right? And it was a bunch of police chasing down a black dude to kill him uh and it was a and it wasn't the best cartoon done they were trying to get across uh you know uh what was going on here in the u.s but but honestly some of the propaganda aimed at americans from a lot of foreign news sources is just terrible it's just absolutely terrible and it's not you gonna land it's it will best. make people just mad like looking at this cartoon will make people just not like China. Oh my God, that, uh, uh, that like Australian one where they're like this doctored image of a of an Australian soldier slitting the throat of a like Afghani child. They're like, sir, that is a uh, that's a political cartoon. And he's like, why did they Photoshop our soldier doing this? You know, he didn't do he, he did it, but there were two. That was misleading. You know, not saying necessarily that, like these are, like that 
bad uh, like messaging. Uh, or I should say they do have bad messaging. The the idea behind it isn't bad. Uh, yeah. the, uh, but what they what they say usually comes out. I think for Americans, it seems it's usually offensive. Uh, yeah, like the, the the foreign press secretary, whatever that position is equivalent is in like China. Like her like recent like her speech like a few months ago about like you know like not bowing down to like America and stuff was like pretty fire. Like I was like I was really vibing with it, but like they put some like orchestral music behind it, and it's like you gotta wait. Some you gotta wait for that. For the fans like, uh, gotta do that. An international audience, right? Yeah. Like some of that stuff. I mean, especially I mean when it's a foreign, it's a, when it's a when it's a Chinese official doing a speech in Chinese. That is not for Americans. for me. Ninety nine percent of Americans, including the ones who work, are Chinese. Are Chinese. No. So mad. Yeah, do you have any advice for China? China? Like, do you have any advice? Or just like, in general, <laughs> how would you punch it, it up? <laughs> why is it so bad? How, yeah, what's up with that? Uh, in general, uh, a lot of the foreign uh, problems. I mean, it, it depends. It's, it's, that's a, that's a, like a Chinese network to network thing a little bit, but mm-hmm. there's definitely like... There, there is a tendency there on some Chinese platforms to, to basically just bring out um, like talent, you know, Western talent, like straight out of J school, mm-hmm. and they'll basically just be writing what they would be at, you know, mm-hmm. AP or Royal. Yeah, yeah, or I mean, whatever the hell. Yeah. Um, so we're not sending our best, is what you're saying. <laughs> they're not. They're not sending their best, dude. They're really not. And or that's about. They are sending their best, and their best just happened to be like. What's like being the best at broadcast journalism? It's like Must being be. in like in America, it's like being like the most naive, gullible fool who like believes one hundred percent in whatever is like written in front of them. Um, but like the messaging like aimed at Americans by Americans, like here in this country, I feel like we've really got a good way to talking like talking down to like the average American. They've really kind of figured out. I mean. Like, I'm a like little baby. you say, like, the censorship of, of Sputnik. I mean, they've figured out a way to just get people turned off from most foreign, uh, uh, you know, media just from the name, let alone it being in a foreign language. Like, I, I wonder if, like, maybe Americans are just special, we're especially gullible, or or if the propaganda is just, like, more finely tuned here uh, and it's on a different, is it a different level? I blame lack of geography education, AP. That's a good point. But like, I really do think geography's <laughs> like, w- there's, there's 10 minutes of recording here of me going like, damn, Saudi Arabia is kind of big, man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, wow, they're right next to Yemen, huh? Why do Europeans care what's going on in the rest of the world? Why do they consume Iranian, why do they consume Iranian TV and Americans don't? Like, they're just as imperialist. <laughs> Europeans think they're more worldly, right? Like Americans are above that shit because they're in charge. You know, like yeah, we we won. Yeah. We won at history. We won at politics. The Nazis lost, and we won. And so, like now we win. The Cold War, we win, and that's why. Like, why would we care? Like they lost. They're losers. You know, it's like the Trump shit. It's like if they're losers. They lost. Like who cares? They didn't win at global politics, so, you know, what could they possibly have to offer that's even useful, you know, other than just yeah. weird... Yeah, I don't think we're immune to that. Like, I, I talk like Joe Biden now. I've been saying, come on, man, like, 
like five or six times a day since like November. So, yeah. Come on, Jack. Come on, like Jack, what? What are you? What are you? What are you? Get up! What? Are you, what? Are you, what, are you, what are you, get up! Get up. Get up. Get up. Get up. Get up. You want to do a push up? I mean, I agree with you a lot that it is that Trump attitude, right? Like, because you mentioned that in Colombia, right? Like the right wing doesn't really have a constituency, but here in the U.S., like. The right wing does have a constituency. They're fucking entire towns that are just, I mean, that are pure Trump towns. Uh, uh, and even the, I mean, I live in kind of like a, a, a liberal, uh, a liberal suburb, but you go uh, uh, over and it's, it's very, it's very wild uh, uh, that both the Democrats and the Republicans have these massive power bases. Uh, cause, well, I wouldn't even say like, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe I shouldn't have said that like the right wing doesn't have the power, you know, that they don't have a power base. It's a minority. Mm-hmm. Be like, of course they do. Like they, they win all the time, you know. It's mm-hmm. just the same way that the right wing wins in the U.S. You know, they, it's like all culture wars bullshit mm-hmm. that they like convince people of this, this, and that. You know, they manipulate the elections and then they prohibit the only competitive opposition from running. Like they, or they just murder them. Mm-hmm. Like, so, like you know, they they do have uh, sway on like a certain segment of the population. Mm-hmm. Um, it's certainly less pronounced than it is here because like here it's like that's all the you know the right wing is everywhere and they they control massive segments of the country geographically i mean they control like two-thirds of the country uh yeah definitely probably more so but they (laughs) realistically you know they don't actually have anything to offer anyone it's just like hey like you see those like dudes holding hands and kissing and shit it's pretty gross right like yeah yeah um well, I mean, they could consolidate into a smaller group their wealth. Just even, I mean, it seems to be that way. Like here in a, here in Illinois, their favorite thing to do is take a, a a big town that has a large tax base and funnel all of that money into one neighborhood and then split off that to a new town, <laughs> yeah. uh, and then and then remove all the t- and then uh, and then remove all the services from that huge area that you just served. Uh, they did that to you no, know all of St. Louis, uh, and it goes the other and way that's too. Like they, they haven't like a, hit that point in most of Latin America where like they have to deploy like these like next level bullshit mm-hmm. tactics. Like they, they, you know, they haven't quite like reached like the need to do that shit. Yeah, they've got us, and I'm sure that as, as you know, it depends on the country you're talking about. But like mm-hmm. broadly speaking, like that's it was something that like when I first went to Latin America, I kind of like in this sort of racist way thought like you know like oh they're like less developed or advanced just because they have like a more straightforward like patronage relationships and stuff like that you know and then later i realized like no like you know we just have like this like like we do like more uh absurd and longer lasting mating rituals before we like (laughs) engage in our like we get less out of it you know economic prostitution i've never had a guy like deliver me an suv for doing anything you know like (laughs) yeah like i would love that like i'll vote for whoever just give me a turkey like you know give me a give me an acre i'll take one yeah whatever well i'm wondering is there a there's a huge attitude now, which I think is is surprising for I think you know some segments of the left is the huge anti-government uh, uh, sentiment among the right. Uh, uh, how the government here in the U, I mean, in some ways, rightly is viewed as non-white uh, by these by these Nazis and white nationalists. Uh, you look at like I mean, a lot of like kind of like regular government jobs are filled by are filled usually by I mean around here it's usually black people. 
uh, and and people look at the government that's that's working on them, uh, these Nazis. They look at it and they're they're really opposed to it. And I wonder if there's a similar sentiment in in Latin America, where like in Bolivia, right, where you have an indigenous government uh, uh, taking power. Uh, is there is there a sense that uh, among these among among right wingers in Latin America that these governments are getting away from them or or have now become kind of their enemy? Good, good question. Oh yeah, for sure. Especially yeah, Bolivia is like right on the money because I mean you have to remember before Evo Morales came to power, like women, indigenous women couldn't wear their traditional dress and like walk into a bank. You yeah. know, you couldn't do that. You would be turned away, and if you tried to go in, you'd be like attacked, harassed, beat, maybe arrested. Um, so we're talking about like the two thousands, you know. We're not talking about like ancient history. So, um, yeah, to 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 say that there's like an element of like whites that are pissed that the indigenous people are finally like getting government jobs, like that's. That's a big understatement, for sure. Um, I mean, that's that was it was so visceral during the coup, you know, because I went down there in uh, November of 2019, and I actually got down there the day before the Sankata massacre. Oh wow! Uh, so I was around for that. It's heavy know? stuff, man. Um, yeah, no, it was it was horrifying, totally wild. You know, I was I was there with um, Camila Escalante, who was at the time, she was working at Telesur, and now she has founded um, uh, Palsetun News. Oh, really? With, oh, wow. That's a yeah, big deal, man. That's a big deal. Yeah, yeah. So, and we went, you know, to uh, the hospital where the uh, the <clears throat> majority of the victims were being treated. And they wouldn't let us in for, like, half an hour. Uh, finally, they finished cleaning up all the blood, and then they decided to let us in, you know, uh, and the, the doctor was, like, willing to take his questions, and he told us just a bunch of bullshit, right? He told really? us, basically, he'd been poached. It was extremely clear he'd been poached mm-hmm. right before this, and he had learned, you know, a handful of little talking points, and the main thing was, you know, we have such and such injuries, such and such deaths, um, so many by gun, uh, by bullet wound, but uh, none of them bear any indication that they've been shot with a weapon of war or with a uh, combat weapon, which is to say that they were all shot with sidearms, which is to say that they had all shot each other. Yeah, I remember that. That was a bunch of the waffling going on at the time. Like, we don't know if it's a coup, man. Yeah. We don't know if it's a coup. Like, well, we they don't were know who blaming, shot anybody. They, said they, they, shot agents. they said they were Cuban agents that had infiltrated and had shot them. Oh, that didn't make it here. And this, no. this narrative, <laughs> it exists today. This narrative exists Damn. today, and it is still fairly strong within the middle class of the Cuban Maidan, um, like assassins, like that was the idea. Yeah, that, that Cubans were like came and were paid specifically to assassinate um, indigenous people to make like a yeah like a false flag attack. That's um, the wrong kind of Cuban. Or that they shot each, they shot themselves. <laughs> That's the other one. Too. They just like mass maiming um, protests. That's pretty. That's a that's yeah. A, like that's they just went Jonestown. Yeah, there's right. Yeah. Oh man, that's crazy, man. Um, what? What was I? What was I talking about? This. There's a reason I was bringing this up. Um, um, I don't know. I got distracted. That's pretty yeah. Shit. Talking about the kind that's, of like that's uh, the, but that, the racism, yeah, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. The racism there. The assumption that 
um, you know, this this broad assumption that persists to this day that all of the indigenous people that were there were there to blow up, like literally explode the gas plant, um, which would have caused, of course, like a tremendous, massive <laughs> explosion that would have blown apart, you know, huge swaths of their community. This has been like the the narrative that's been floated around, but it's it's absurd. And then they, they, they fall back on these like very racist descriptors of the people. They're masistas, they're perristas, mm-hmm. They're like um, dumb Indians. They didn't know any better. They're so stupid that they would just blow themselves up because they hate, you know, hate democracy, and progress, more than et cetera, et cetera. Um, So that was it then, you know. And then in terms of the people that had participated in the previous government, and I mean, like I have, you know, Aymara friends that are, you know, like a good friend of mine. Aymara is like uh, works within the presidential ministry, and like. That's not a, it's not like a rare case, you know what I mean? Like, that's, that's a very frequent theme throughout most, you know, uh, most parts of the country, like, especially where Moss is in control. You like, mean indigenous involvement have, in the government? Yeah. Right, at, at a high level, at an influential, significant level. And so, like, to separate that from the anger and, like, the internal displacement that the white ruling class feels and sees... Yeah, and, and understands on like a very visceral and personal level, like it's impossible. You know, you can't do it just like you can't do it here. Uh, if anything, it's more pronounced there, where like those that have maintained in this very white existence are kind of a, the exception rather than the norm. Um, and so, like you, you know, the, the super white families in Bolivia, like how the fuck have you managed to keep your family this white this long while by being like extremely racist? You it's know, like, like I mean, like, really small population, relatively, right? Uh, is it is it like I mean here here in the U.S. It's I mean, majority indigenous, you know, it's by some calculations up to sixty or even seventy percent indigenous. Mm. Like, um, it's it's a very heavily indigenous, and then people who aren't who even don't describe themselves as indigenous, they're not white, you know, they're what would be referred to as mestizo by some people, mm-hmm. um, but. Uh, you know, the, the actual, like, white Bolivians, you know, we're not talking about a, a numerically significant population, but when we talk about who actually controls the resources and who controls political power and um, Santa Cruz, um, especially, you know, we're, we're talking about the, the Croats, you know, like the, the Nazi collaborators um, that came over after World War II, um, we're talking about them mainly, but also, you know, white Spaniard families. Um, that's that's who runs shit economically to this day in Santa Cruz. That's very Habsburgian. You're never gonna you're never gonna eliminate that that hatred from them. You're just gonna have to like take popular power and economic power from them. Yeah, they'll get over and it. You can't. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. That the the coup being reversed was like. A pretty big deal for me personally. That was a big like, you know. There's still something left in the world. It was a, it was a very good thing for a lot of people's mental huge. health for the the heroes and Bolivian people. I think. I think that that was unbelievable, yeah, I, and especially because I was shocked. I was like, how I mean, did that happen? Who let that happen? What? Like, they can't do that. Well, I mean, it's just been L's. I mean, for America, yeah. these last couple of years. I mean, 
Spain. Re- <laughs> they should change it from America. If you like a, if you like a, a America getting beat, then uh, it should be. A- <laughs> but it's been a, it's been a pretty cr- a couple of years. I mean, I asked earlier, like, what are the benefits of uh, uh, of of doing this type of work? And I can imagine, like, seeing the Bolivian coup reverse, seeing Evo Morales return to the presidency. Like, I can imagine that that is really like, you know, one of the few benefits that you get in this is is getting some victories like that. Mm-hmm. Oh man. Yeah, so this, it's hard to even, like, describe the, like, the elation of that night when they finally, like, the finally, the mass comes back, and it's just, I mean, it was only a year, that was the other thing, too, it only took a year, um, I thought that that would take several years, at the very I didn't think it would happen, least. I had, I had um, no hope in it happening, I, I saw no possible way that anybody would allow that, I thought they would drop a nuke on the country before that happened, um, I mean, I just, yeah, I don't know, I, you know, I, I, w- I was there for an extended period of time, and I, I stayed in contact with a lot of um, left journalists, with a lot of organizers, with a lot of functionaries, uh, or pre, you know, at that moment, previous functionaries. But, um, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's hard to explain within the context of the United States, where the left is such a, like, afterthought like mm-hmm. you know if you think about it at all it's just like yeah i guess i wonder like what they're gonna like fight about internally you know um in bolivia it's it's just it's impossible to think about the left in you know in those terms as though they're like some kind of totally divorced from reality bizarro fucking for like no they are the ones that are organizing the entirety of El Alto. You know, like you go to El Alto, which is a sister city of La Paz, and you see vendors everywhere. It's these like um, indigenous women sitting, selling vegetables. Um, miles, like miles and miles of them, like whole markets. And then you realize all of these women are organized. They are all unionized. They all like organize around better living conditions and they all like work together. And then you realize, oh, all of the cab drivers are unionized and organized. All, like, every, all the, all the farmers, you know what I mean, are unionized, organized, like, ready to go. Um, it's beautiful, and, like, that's how they get shit done. And you, go, and you go down there, and you realize, okay, we're having a town hall meeting. We're having, like, what we would understand as a town hall meeting. Uh, I thought it was, you know, and, and we're in the Chapare, we're in the... Um, the Sone de Tropico, like the sort of the mace, the, the mass um, base of power. Um, I mean, it, it effectively turned into like a country within a country during the coup because they blocked off all banking um, uh, abilities. They blocked, they, they basically like sanctioned the Chapare. And so like you couldn't get money out of an ATM while you were in there. You know what I mean? Like, you weren't able to do the normal shit that you would need to do to go about your day yeah. because they wanted they to make life really miserable. Kill so that... They just did that with, like, pure no, They just kicked the cops out. That's wild, man. They just kicked the cops out. That was it. Wow. They kicked the cops out and they, you know, a couple How do you... stations got burned. How do you get um, past that, though? It's At some point, like, when they turn the ATMs off, like, like... What what are you gonna do? I mean, I guess you have to have, like, a, like some serious organization to, to make sure that people are are getting their stuff because i think of back in uh 
in uh, the early 2010s when Syriza took power in Greece, right? And and the people voted and they said no, we're we're not gonna we're not gonna we don't want to pay back this bullshit that the Eurobank, the the uh, the ECB and so on have, have have saddled us with, and and basically Deutsche Bank and the rest told them, well fuck you, I guess you're not gonna have any ATMs in your country until you pay it back. Uh, like how do you how do you challenge that when when they have that sort of financial control over you? Well, it's a different situation because, like, while there's an internal blockade, like, there aren't internal military checkpoints like that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, you're still able to get in and out. It's not like you, it's not like there's a, been established, like, an international boundary. Mm-hmm. So you can go to the count, you know, to Cochabamba and, like, mm. pull some shit out of an ATM. It's just a matter of, like, getting all the way to Cochabamba. And not everybody who lives there is able to do that especially just on a whim. Mm-hmm. Um, so it didn't, it wasn't like the end of the world, but just to show you like how far that they were going at that moment in time, it was pretty extreme. So yeah, I encourage all of our viewers to check out Wyatt and his, and his, uh, you know, his journalism being put out on Sputnik, Press TV, and I assume you do some independent stuff. Your Twitter is a really good follow. You're uh, combative oh, yeah. too often. You're, no, you're not a drama hog. You're not rolling in the filth, you know? But you get your pings in there. You got to get in there and hit the like button on Wyatt's post when he's battling the Zionists because he needs his own bot army (laughs) to challenge. Come follow me at WyattReed13. Go through my Twitter feed and like every post that I've made for the past three months. And then holler at your boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um... Yeah, thank you so much for coming on, though. Yeah, absolutely. Learned a lot. It uh, gave us a lot of stuff to uh, research and actually like uh, learn about. All right, guys. Um, so we like to end our show that. every week with a simple phrase. Uh, free Palestine, fuck the police. That's a wrap. Free Palestine. I'm sober as a dog. But... <laughs> we gotta call... We gotta switch America's name from America cut cut. We gotta change it from America cut 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 to America L L L L L. Why won't your organization engage in peace talks with the Israelis? You don't mean exactly peace talks. You mean capitulation, surrendering. Why not just talk?
social as lion itself.